From a wide range of embroidery classes to talks and special events, Royal School of Needlework's International Summer School offers so much. Immerse yourself in the world of the RSN with its world-renowned tuition and treat yourself to this Festival of Stitch in July and August 2024. The Royal School of Needlework is offering four ways to get involved this year. You can join the International Summer School on-site at Hampton Court Palace and at the Royal School of Needlework Durham in the UK, as well as Lexington, Kentucky in the United States of America. There are also online classes available live so students can join in anywhere from around the world. There's a wonderful variety of techniques to explore for those who are starting out on their hand embroidery journey all the way through to advanced stitches. So whether you want to follow a kit-based design, explore your own creativity using your own materials in a more contemporary way, or focus on developing your personal design skills, there will be a class that appeals to you. The Royal School of Needlework International Summer School classes will provide experienced stitchers with an opportunity to engage in a longer or more advanced project while allowing those newer to the world of hand embroidery to try a shorter course to build and develop their skills. The full list of classes and more information about the Royal School of Needlework International Summer School is available at royal-needlework.org.uk with special offers for booking multiple classes and an early bird booking price available until the 29th of February 2024. Whether you're planning on attending in person, online, or a combination of the two, this is a fantastic opportunity to improve your stitching skills from one of the best schools in the world. Welcome to Needle Exchange, conversations on the art of thread. Nikki McDonald, also known as Tapestry Girl, is an Australian needlework artist whose urban pop art portraits use modern street art styles to tell stories of iconic characters that she's created. In this first part of our interview, we talk about how Nikki juggles the artistic path while also working in special needs education and being a modern mother, and we talk about how she came to develop such a recognisable style. I loved talking with Nikki, whose calmness and considered philosophy to life is a curious contrast to the vibrant attitude of her work. If you're a fan of needlework and textile art and you know like-minded people, please tell them about the podcast. I'm on a mission to change the way the world thinks about needlecraft, and needle exchange is an important part of that journey. I'll be back next week with the second part of Nikki's interview, so enjoy the show. Are you still a teacher? Like Yeah, I'm like um I'm a head teacher of wow. a special ed within a high school. So um I used to be well, I trained as an art teacher mm-hmm. and then I started I just couldn't do my art and be an art teacher because there was too much kind of conflict of creativity and I was really invested in what everyone was doing and used it all up so um, then I became a textile and food tech teacher and now I'm a special ed teacher because um, you can just channel all knowledge into that they're doing life skills and so we do textiles food tech art gardening and then all the maths and English but it's a good job yeah what kind of age range are the kids High school, um, right. it's a it's a 
like a support unit within a big school of 1,500 students. Um, the t uh, class I'm actually teaching, the students are about 13, 14, living with autism. So um, I really instill lots of calm, consistency, that sort of thing. And that's where textiles, food and gardening comes in really because it's really, really good for mental health, that sort of thing. Yeah, I used to work for a children's charity back when I had like a real job and um, I was an IT project manager, but the charity had lots of different services around the country um, and some of them were working with people with additional needs, but they were also services mm -hmm. that worked with young offenders, you know, people who had offended and come yeah. back out to try and like integrate them into society. And one of the things that always struck me was these services provided loads of different life skills. So like you say, like cooking and gardening. And and while they wouldn't work for all of the kids, for some of them, it would like really light a fire under them. And it was really kind of inspiring to see that, just to see people kind of awaken yeah. to something. Yeah, well, I think it's, for me, it's all transferable skills. And so is art, textiles, food, gardening. It's all creativity and so if you can um, instill that sort of um, like methodical working goal setting the transferable skills are enormous so I think I like to approach things in that holistic manner so people they you know they can build confidence and build boundaries and also like Steiner said at the end of the day have something to point to that makes a happy person mm. they're all quite analog things as well aren't they I think that they're good for yeah. reminding us that we're natural beings rather than sort of the products of marketing or something yeah well because I work in a high school you should see the amount of devices technology um you know if someone isn't on their computer they're on their phone and now um the new south wales schools are taking away you know saying right we're we're not going to allow phones at school so people are working out how can i use my watch how can i do all this because kids are really connected to their devices um for better or worse but yeah i like to, i like to go with the analog and again that's that textiles thing it's primal it's, you know, tactile, it's got tradition. And so I think if we come back to that sort of primary purpose, it can only soothe our souls, really. Yeah, I did a, a needle exchange with Kaz Holmes a little while ago, and she said that she uses her fingers as a communication tool when she's like talking to the textiles, which I thought was a really interesting way of putting it. I listened to that. It was really good. In fact, I listened to it yesterday and I really enjoyed it and I really loved that contextualisation of she was saying that she's got um, in one of her eyes that she has um, limited vision but mm. then she was saying how she makes up for that or you were saying in this really broad spectrum amount of creativity and, you know, what came through for me and with with so many textile artists, there's this massive amount of creativity that they channel in so many different ways. And I think that's what's good really about this podcast and other podcasts that showcase artists. You get a real surprise what lights each person up and what cultivates each person's creativity. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a it's a rewarding adventure for me because every conversation I had al almost adds another layer on top of a previous one, you know. So I 
don't know much about anything but bit by bit you feel like you can start to form a picture you can start to understand common themes and there's definitely something about Mm. just working in textiles and the slowness of it and like the purity of the whole experience the way it makes you know that was what I fell in love with in the first place the way it makes your soul sing well I um I've always loved textiles. My grandma knitted and then I when I was about five, my parents bought me a loom, like a little table loom, and I was weaving and, you know, doing all that sort of thing. And I did textiles for my leaving, like we call it RHSC. And I did it like a tapestry and I did like um like a, a fabric collage book that got into like an exhibition, a travelling one. And I went to uni and it was a Bachelor of Creative Arts and it really yeah. attracted me to the fact that the cre- the creative part um, and it was based on the Bauhaus. So you weren't allowed to, say, go in and just do painting or just do a fine art. So I, of course, went into textiles because I just love it. Like I love that sort of cleanliness of it like you know you you know you go and do sculpture and it's dirty and there's stuff (laughs) lying everywhere you do printmaking and it's like terps and you do painting and it's oil so for me it was sort of clean and and quite yeah primal manageable really natural so I did that but I didn't really learn a lot of direct skills um, because it was the Bauhaus thing you had to look do music and drama and then the textiles and um, so throughout all that I got to I got to do felting weaving all the things but the main thing was just kind of cultivating creativity which was really nice and I feel like I have gained a lot from that and the people I went to uni with also gained a lot from that sort of um, holistic let's get let's find out where the creativity is and where you can channel it and um, but you know they didn't really like rate needlepoint tapestry because you know it is a little bit chocolate boxy and it, at the time I I just drew up my own ones but no one was really doing that they were sort of, you know, and as it is, the hierarchy is that loom weaving and proper, like, you know, proper traditional tapestry. But I, again, I've just kind of got that paradox of I did study textiles, but I'm so hook, line and sinker into the needlepoint tapestry. <laughs> I think it's because I did the screen printing and I loved it and I loved how it layered and layered and you'd bring it all together with the key black lines but I just couldn't stand the terps and the paint so I just turned my tapestries into what could be a screen print. Because you did a major in textiles and a minor in printmaking which quite frankly sounds like about the nicest possible degree course I've ever heard of. That must have been such a great time. (laughs) It was such a great time, yeah. And then writing, um, we had to write essays on Debussy and um, like I even did one on Bob Dylan because we had to show how music kind of combined with the creativity. So, yeah, it was was a really good degree. Um, I loved it. And I, I look back and I think there's people who come out with these really great high-end skills and I just came out with a a real curiosity and a desire to explore and a desire to to look around and channel 
my ideas and my concepts just into into my needlepoint tapestry really but the thing that's interesting because i looked on your website and you've got stuff there from sort of 2009 which i guess is probably around the time when this started to happen but you've you've come out of the gate swinging like the stuff you're doing now is very much in concord with the stuff you were doing then like you clearly had like this is my thing and i'm gonna go and do it yeah <laughs> i i think i'm noticeable you know it, that the work has a flavor and people go oh i know her work you know or they'll see it and go oh that must be nikki slash tapestry girl you know um but so when I came out of uni, I I actually went to London for 18 months and did yep. nannying and worked over there because I was born in Belfast and okay. wanted to, had a British passport, but came out when I was six months old, so I feel very Australian, but <laughs> have massive roots to, you know, UK. Um, but when I came back, I didn't go, you know, I I, I was you know, in my 20s and I didn't work. Um, I wasn't a teacher then. I worked in television and wasn't doing a lot of art. But then I had kids and I would have to take, you know, as you do, it's an absolute pleasure not have to take, like to play group and to swimming and to soccer. And I found that I was in this really sort of stationary place and I'd pick up my phone and start sort of texting. I'm like, this is garbage. So I just grabbed, you know, some tapestry canvas, painted it all up and wherever I was going, I was sewing. And I found that it soothed my soul. I wasn't going, oh, I've got to sit here for an hour. You know, there I was like, making all this stuff so by the um by the time that I think I think um it took about two years and I had my first big exhibition with lots of 10 point tapestry you know canvas so little stitches big work really what I could point to is probably sitting with my kids watching a bit of Bob the Builder sitting at the soccer classes sitting at play groups sitting at martial arts and there you go that's and I went well there's time management (laughs) you know habit stacking I'll just pack it all in my backpack I used to call it my Dora Explorer little textile bag you know off I'd go and they'd sit there you know doing their thing and then I felt like I was living my life on purpose so sort of no regrets of missing out on doing art or doing anything by you know alongside of bringing up my boys did that rub off on any of the people you were sat around or you know because I guess back then as well it's they were they weren't quite as phonesy as they are now right so people would have still been just like yeah but they still were I mean we chat and whatever but no I think I was the only one maybe a couple of maybe somebody knitted but no I was definitely you know, the person sitting there sewing and people go, oh, how much have you done? Because swimming classes <laughs> might be a weekly sort of yeah. event. How much have you done? Oh, look, oh, you know, because as we know, they grow slowly. But literally there was so much time when, you know, you had to be around. And then I just extended that. Like I, you know, hashtag my work. I mean, it's a it's a hashtag, so as I go. And, you know, my boys are older now and do their own thing. So... But wherever I go, I'm 
taking my work. I've got some huge pieces that are bigger than me and I can roll them up and put them out and do that. And they even have those sort of show-off moments where, wow, I'm on a boat, so I'm going to take a photo with my tapestry. But I also have some that fit in an A3 pencil case and I'll have them. And so really the piece that I take might be informed by where I'm going. And I just, I, I just feel like I don't want any wasted moments. Like if I'm there, you know, I can be very present and sewing because I think the main part of my work, the needlepoint tapestries, I have an idea. I'm like, I'll be walking down an alleyway, I'll get an idea, I'm listening to a podcast, an audio book, I'm like I can even be walking along and hear somebody say a word and bang, I'm on, great, I've got an idea. I'll go down, I take my car out of the garage, I paint it all up, I'll either spray paint and hand paint and I can use my data projector. So all that happens in kind of about 12 hours but then depending on the size of it, it could be months of sewing, but it that's the really beautiful methodical part where I just get into a meditative place and I'm sewing and, you know, with needlepoint, it's so, for me, like I know there's lots of stitches out there and I do do cross stitch too, but it's so kind of repetitious, I get into like a really lovely rhythm and it's sort of, the daily grind just floats away and I'm sewing and I'm building and I'm seeing like often I'm doing the half cross stitch and I'm seeing the colours radiate against each other, the different kind of wools and I, I don't know, it just sort of excites me. Like I love it and I love the paradox that, well, I've got it. I think I'm a Gemini so I live in paradox land. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I do urban I do urban lights, bright, sort of urban sort of faces and spaces and places, but I always sew in natural environments. So, you know, that's always in a forest, on a beach, on a rock, on a boat, you know. So these paradoxes sort of come come in. But also I think a massive paradox is the needlepoint tapestry from when I was sort of growing up and beyond, like hundreds of years, the passivity, the, you know, the passive place that women were depicted and to sit back and sew so they were quiet, you know, a, a women's, like a quiet activity where, you know, you were sort of seen and not heard and and the images were an affirmation of kind of goodness and these best practice, you know, like the Swiss Alps with a deer looking alert or very like chocolate boxy and, you know, very beautiful in their own right. And I have, you know, I've been working with some of the older tapestries and, you know, paying homage to that tradition. But I feel like, again, another paradox is I've made these sort of tapestries that have what what I believe they're sort of sassy, urban, strong, empowered women. And I have this sort of fantasy that the women of the past who are sitting there doing their needlepoint are almost kind of plotting for this, you know, um, autonomy for people of the future to have massive 
amounts of creativity. And here we'll just sit in looking like we're just sewing away and being really quiet, but actually we're just sending good vibes forward so people can have lights and brights and colours and, you know, that incremental sort of thing where, you know, how feminism sort of grew and just that self-expression. I think we are in a place where we have very sustained self-expression where people can say, I want... uh, you know, I I want to um, wear this. I want to express myself that way. And um, I remember like 20 years ago or so going to the Art Gallery of New South Wales and seeing Tracy Emmons' tent, um, all the people I'd slept with, and I was blown away because there it was, a textiles piece, you know, so much vulnerability on display she, I loved all the little stitches and the sewing and the scale of it. And I just thought, wow, she's really edgy. She's taken, you know, the medium of textiles and made it just I don't know, an expression, you know, a channel for her expression. And I think for me, she did a lot to inspire me in um in wanting to use textiles in a sort of um, a contemporary way. Yeah, I love it. There's, there's a few things I want to address. One is one of the most annoying things that I love about you is all your pictures of you happily stitching in the most amazing backdrops <laughs> because you clearly live in a beautiful part of the world and you're like, I'm stitching <laughs> here and it's so amazing and I'm so jealous. So I'm just, just wanting to get that off my chest. But I also have this thesis yeah. about... Um, stitching and particularly and needlepoint's the perfect one the meditative quality of it because when you meditate if your mind wanders you're supposed to come back to center but particularly with needlepoint because you don't have to think very hard but you have to look every couple of milliseconds to where you're putting the needle you're always centered and so it's like such a strong present moment thing I feel quite jealous that I've not thought to take it when I'm sat in swimming lessons wondering when the time is going to end so I might I might start doing that now. Yeah. I mean, all it takes is a little bag, a roll-up, and, you know, and you're sitting there. And I remember a couple of times thinking, I wonder if I look odd. And I thought, you know what, at the end of the day, I've got, like Steiner said, something to point to for my time. Mm. And I think that's really important for, um, for us, especially in our modern time. And um, I... I had an exhibition up in the Blue Mountains and I did a workshop and a lot of kids came and I handed out little squares of needlepoint and um, the parents said, they came back the next day, they said when we got back to our houses or they weren't staying on holidays, our kids didn't even want the iPad. They didn't, they go, I want to finish it. And I think that again, that primal part and that it's, achievable I think when you've got I I think I just did some nice kind of lights and brights a bit of spray paint so all they were doing was sort of following some colors and it was a bit of an abstract piece but it was a very achievable once they learnt that half cross stitch so I'm really um I'm very committed to how um how engaging 
like needlepoint, cross stitch, any form of sort of portable textiles can be. I think for me, knitting's really tricky. Like mm-hmm. um, I've done a bit or crochet is, but I think I can nearly always teach someone um, needlepoint, cross stitch sort of thing. And they quite get a lot out of it. I did go through a stage of doing quite a lot of workshops and um, taking in either either a five count or an eight count. So, you know, it could get done quite well in the wool. And, yeah, people really responded well to it and um, always had something to point to at the end of the day and went, wow, I really like this. It's another form of art. Mm, Yeah, I found I think one of the biggest uh, things I went through in that respect was when I used to go on train journeys and I would sit and do cross-stitch on a train because... British people don't really like talking to strangers on trains anyway, let alone the big bald fella who appears to be doing a bit of cross-stitch. And over time, I adapted to be at peace with it. But for a long time, I was very much like, oh, my God, what are these people going to be thinking? And all those sort of things. But I always remember one time the the ticket collector came through the carriages and um, I was stitching. It was quite a full train, so he's just checking everybody's uh, tickets and can see what we were doing obviously got to the end of the train and then walked his way back. And as he came back, he literally went, I do rag rugging. <laughs> and just like, oh. as he sped past the table, just made this like confession to me because obviously I'd given him this safe space to do it or something. It was so funny. Oh, that is so good. You feel like there, because so many people have got a connection to it, like it does, if you can unlock it, then it does provide people an opportunity to have that conversation, even if it's just for their own curiosity, because you're not, doing what everybody else is doing it's quite uh if you can break up if they can get over themselves I think it can be quite rewarding for everybody yeah absolutely and I think the people who are sitting there doing that are really brave so like I really commend you for sitting on the train doing that I've um planes trains automobiles like I really love a good road trip where I'm the passenger and I I'll start a brand new one and then by the end of it I'm like look how much I've done and it's really nice it's like it again I mean I know I'm going on about it but it's something to show for your time and and you know I have exhibitions a lot like I've got one opening this weekend and I think I've got 12 things in it so it's sort of even though you know I've got a day job and you know, there's lots of things go on in just day-to-day life. But if you can carve out that time to get it done, then it's kind of rewarding. You know, you do feel like um, living life on purpose, really, when you're following your passion and getting things done. And it's um, akin to a spiritual practice, yeah. isn't it? Because you're because of the meditative mm. quality of it, I guess, if you're forcing yourself. Because I try and do that. I've, I've been trying to say to myself, you know, my life is very full, but I owe it to myself to at least spend like half an hour, if I can, instead of just sat in front of the telly staring at it, doing a bit of needlepoint, doing a bit of cross-stitch at the same time, because I know that it's going to be good for my soul. And I guess, because yeah. one of the questions I was going to ask you, some people, when they're making art, compartmentalize it, you know, like they'll go to a studio space because of the nature of the work or whatever. Mm. Where do you, are you able to put those things into compartments or do you not need to because of that manifold effect of you're making art, but you're also meditating, so you're making good use of your time? Do the boundaries blur? Do you, Are you able to keep order with things? Yeah, well... 
um, my bedroom and under my bed has lots of work and then I've got um, a garage that I just pull my car out of and it turns into a really kind of um, pretty good studio. I would never, well, never say never, but I have never and I can't ever imagine having to drive somewhere to do my work because I, I like to be, you know, parenting. I like to be getting organised for work. I'm, you know, I'm quite good at habit stacking. I've got all the things going on and then I just grab the um, the, um, the the artwork when I can. Um, but sometimes I'm really, really driven and it's like every night I get back and it's like I feel like with art for me and my creativity, it's a bit like a relationship. Sometimes it's really strong and it's going and I'm really passionate about it and, you know, it's all I want to do. When I'm in the zone, I'm like, wow, this is where I want to be. I'm connected to it. And then, you know, I think, well, this has just got to last forever. And then it'll kind of wear off. I don't know if this happens to you. And then I'll have like, I want to break up with it. I want to be a normal person. I want to go to the movies. I want to, you know, I don't want to think about buying more of that, you know, what colour wool. Oh, it's done. Now I've got to get it kind of stretched and framed. And then I want to drive it to the gallery and, you know, put myself sort of, you know, in a vulnerable position because it's now up for sale. I want to be normal. I want to be like one of those people that goes to the, you know, the beach and just sort of lies on the beach. And then I'll be walking down the street and I'll just hear a word and then I light up again. So it's sort of all this kind of, it's almost like a, a love-hate relationship with you know, art, creativity. And if someone said, gee, I wish I was an artist, you go, no, you don't. <sighs> it just grabs you and you just have to do it. And, you know, it's pretty, it's, it, you know, it's lovely, but there's sort of, you know, it's it's not an easy journey being an artist, especially if you want to, you know, exhibit and, you know, from that, the, the creation point to either selling it or just, giving it away or, you know, to the end point. It's a big journey, I think. Hi, everybody. Jamie here. In order to give you a better listening experience, I've decided to split these episodes into two parts so that you can get a nice half-hour deep dive in with an artist and then tune back in next week for the next bit. Much more manageable chunks. Hopefully, it makes it better for you. So we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining me on another Needle Exchange. I hope you enjoyed the show. I'd love to hear from you, so feel free to email hello at needle.exchange. That's N-W-E-D-L dot exchange with any thoughts, comments or feedback. And if you want to keep up with all the news, sign up to the Needle Exchange mailing list at bit.ly bit.ly forward slash needle exchange. See you next time.